Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode lucky number 13 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council and sponsored by 15 to 20,000 union members represented by the Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. And before we get started, we always want to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council, its affiliate unions, our guests' unions, or their employers, not even Santa Claus. Santa Claus? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> he has well, his own opinions. Well, now that we've got that over with, we are almost there. In just a couple of weeks, we can finally kiss 2020 goodbye. Thank God. Yeah, 2020 really sucks. We all know it. My kids know it. I know it. Working people know it. Everybody knows it. But something that people may not know is that 2020 actually had a lot of successes as far as working families are concerned. Unions have been fighting for all working people, even through this pandemic. We have been fighting statewide for safety conditions, and we've been fighting to keep workers working. And we wanted to let you guys know that even though you may not be in a union, all of these victories help support each and every one of us in the workplace. So we're going to tell you some stories. We're going to let you know about our victories, and we're going to let you know how that may affect you. We are going to leave it to the other shows to talk about how awful this year has been. There's going to be plenty of that, believe me. And we're going to talk about the big wins working people saw in 2020, because there are plenty of those, too. Let's start off with Suzanne Sutherland, who's the president of the Clark College Association for Higher Education. And most of you may remember Suzanne from episode five. She teaches communication, but she is also the union leader of her local. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm really grateful to be here again. So Suzanne, your local had a really significant victory this year at Clark College, didn't it? Yeah, we had our first strike. Our faculty, our instructors, our professors who serve our students had been paid wages that were not equal to the wages of other community and technical colleges in the state or across the river in Oregon. And then our part-time professors were only being paid about half as much as our full-time professors. So there were all kinds of issues. We, as a union, started organizing after about six months of trying to negotiate higher wages. And we did a great number of things. We spoke to the Board of Trustees. We went out and held rallies. We wrote letters. We talked to legislators. We actually had press conferences. We had a few different newspaper articles. And then after about 18 months of negotiations, we finally decided to hold a vote to strike. We actually went on strike in the second week of January 2020. And it was a three-day strike. It was probably one of the most uh, life-changing events of my life. And one of the reasons is because I saw unions, community members, students, faculty from other schools 
everyone coming together to help us with this battle, if you will. And a lot of our faculty shared the same thing, that they've never experienced something that involves so much solidarity. It didn't take long for the Clark College administration to agree to our terms. I remember that strike. I was on that line, and I believe it was the last day it actually snowed on us, which was even more rad because we had so many people out there in the snow, and we walked past that room with all the windows. Remember that? And there were the board members in there. That was an amazing experience. So you had another issue at Clark College just recently that you also had a big victory in, right? Right. Yeah. I consider our union a sibling union to the WPEA union at Clark College. What does WPEA stand for? Washington Public Employees Association. They are um, classified staff employees. So they're staff throughout Clark College. And last summer, Clark College hired an outside consultant who recommended that Clark cut about two dozen staff in the instructional area, so staff that supports faculty, and outsource areas like security, facilities, and that's one of those old union-busting tactics to outsource. There was a lot of outcry about outsourcing security facilities and IT because, you know, that, that goes right to our safety, to our virtual safety and our physical safety. So they heard loud and clear, no way were we going to accept that. And WPEA and CCHE came together and started a letter writing campaign, a sign waving rally at Esther Short Park. We would go to the Board of Trustees meetings and address the board. We wrote legislators. The mayor actually spoke with our president a few times. And of course, they went to the Southwest Washington Labor Council meetings to ask for help. I think that you can say that it's because of the unions coming together and because of the community members and because of the help from Southwest Washington Labor Council that WPEA was able to come out of that with a victory. Those jobs were not outsourced and those instructional staff were not laid off. There's nothing really like the feeling of unions coming together and succeeding at securing jobs. I mean, it's great to get a raise, but when it comes to securing jobs, there's nothing like that. I think there's a word for that. Starts well, with an F. There we go. Well, thank you for joining us, Suzanne, and sharing these great victories with us. Thanks for having me. Next, let's turn to Dee Dee Gray. She's the local unit co-chair for the Washington State Nurses Association at Vancouver Peace Health Hospital. Thanks for joining us, Dee Dee. Thank you for having me. Everybody is thinking about what you nurses are going through right now in the midst of the pandemic. You had pretty hard times even before the pandemic started, right? Yes, for sure. We dealt with sometimes challenging staffing situations and not always feeling like we had a voice at the table. But passing our staffing bill really has helped us to be able to track when we have unsafe staffing and have a staffing plan that we have to develop collaboratively. So, Dee Dee, when you're talking about this staffing bill, you're actually talking about the meal and rest break bill up in Olympia this last legislative cycle. And that bill, that was kind of like the nurse's holy grail. You guys have been trying to get this 
scheduled meals and rest breaks, if you can believe it, for over 10 years. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, I know personally, I've gone up to Olympia like six years, seven years in a row. And what's the main thing we always talk about? Staffing, not getting our rest breaks, not being able to have uninterrupted rest breaks. Stories of managers telling nurses if they go to the bathroom, okay, well, that was one minute of your break, you know, and us really trying to get uninterrupted rest breaks to where we can actually sit down, eat a meal, recharge, refuel your brain. So yeah, it's it's been a really long battle and it was a huge victory for us. So now the pandemic is here. What kind of a difference has this bill made on the hospital floor? I would say the bill has just been able to, again, have us have a stronger voice at the table and have hospitals be accountable for if There are times where staffing is not good and they don't make efforts to try to change that. Things are reportable. The state is observing that. And it helps nurses feel that, you know, they can escalate and advocate for themselves. So what you're saying is that any nurse at any hospital, whether it's union or not, now it's actually state law that they have to have meal and rest breaks, which is requiring the hospitals to staff effectively so people can take rest breaks, right? Yes, correct. It's giving nurses the ability to be able to advocate and take uninterrupted rest breaks and have hospitals maintain staffing levels that are appropriate for the type of patients that they care for. You know, we really don't just sit around and play cards. Contrary to what a senator in eastern Washington seemed to think, that bill is giving nurses, even in you know rural hospitals, power to be able to advocate for their staffing and to be able to take breaks. Luckily, the nation really got behind nurses, and our bill in Washington State went nationwide, and it really turned into empowerment for us. The comment that Senator Maureen Walsh, I believe her name is, made about nurses sitting around and playing cards. If you ever go to a hospital, if you see a nurse sitting, most likely it's because she's charting So, Dee Dee, before we go, WSNA also had another bill get through the legislature that's made a big difference, right? Yes, we did. We actually had a workplace violence bill that unanimously passed through the House, and it's been great. It's giving us an outlet to be able to track workplace violence, make sure we have training. I mean, I've worked at the hospital I've worked at 15 years, and I had some workplace violence training when I first started, and really none since. So it's holding hospitals accountable for having continuing training because who is the most assaulted profession? People seem to want to think police officers, which thank you for all their service, but it's actually nurses or the most assaulted profession in the country. So the bill is able to help us be able to record those and document those and have committees that have to report to the state of what we're doing to try to help that situation. That's fantastic, Didi. I am really glad that you have these tools to keep you folks safe. Thanks so much for making the time to join us. I know how busy you are. You probably have to get back on shift tonight, don't you? Yes, I do. Well, we really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Now let's talk to Micah Dubay. They're a representative for the International Longshore and Warehouse Workers Union, Local 5. And you may remember Micah from our last episode 12. Thanks for joining us again, Micah. Thank you for having me. ILWU had quite a victory here in Southwest Washington this year, didn't you? Yes, we did at the Columbia River Veterinary Hospital. Why did the people there want to organize and join the union? 
Uh, there were so many reasons that led to these workers wanting to unionize. Um, veterinary medicine is a radically corporatizing industry right now. Um, small business practices are actually going away. They're being bought up by a lot of these very big companies such as Mars Pet Vet, who actually owns Columbia River Veterinary Services. They are generally recession-proof companies. So that's why these corporations are looking to buy these hospitals. And with that comes a lot of that small business feel going away. Corporations bring in lots of policy changes. These workers are also workers that traditionally are underpaid. It is dominantly a female workforce. And they are also not in positions where they can easily make waves in their workplaces to get changes about because they're single mothers, they're single families, they have kids. And so these workers approached ILWU a couple of years ago. They had just been purchased by PetVet. They were looking for ways to make their hospital better, to get wage equity amongst the workers. They wanted to be able to negotiate over their health care, get better benefits, um, get fair treatment, and mostly standardized policies of the hospital and how the hospital operates. So what was the process? How did they go about actually forming their union? Well, they reached out to our organizer, who at the time was Ryan Dowling. He's now our director of organizing for the ILWU. I actually got to attend that first meeting with these workers. We talked over a couple of years about what the issues were, um, connected, traded information, and started the campaign, which was mostly lots of meetings, figuring out what the issues were, surveying the membership, reaching out to members, getting cards signed, and then organizing a big card drop-off at the National Labor Relations Board here in Portland. And then the vote to win their union, uh, they won that pretty much by a landslide. And that definitely changed the tone of organizing. <laughs> when you see that like over 90% of your workers voted yes, you kind of realize that you have to enter it with a bit of a different tone. Well, when people join together, their voice gets pretty big. And that's what we call solidarity, sibling. So now that CRVS is organized, how can the listeners support these new union members? They can start by going to CRVS if they're in the area. I know CRVS is taking pets all the way from like Olympia to Salem. They're bringing in an oncology clinic that will be open within the next year or so. So really, they're an all-around union hospital. So bring your pet to a union hospital and show your support. Um, ask the workers there if they have a spare button to give you that you can wear as a client. Fantastic, Micah. Any last thoughts before we move on? Yeah, uh, don't forget, we still have our Powell's partner link. That's ilwulocal5.com slash support. Go there and click through to Powell's and shop books. And 7.5% of the purchases from that will go towards our worker relief fund, which will help our laid off workers. Thank you, Micah Dubay, <laughs> representative for ILWU Local 5. Thank you. Now let's turn to Lindsay Hewitt. She's a news coordinator at the Columbian, and she's also a steward with the Columbian Guild. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And you might remember Lindsay from... Wait a second. No, this is the first time Lindsay's been on our show. Welcome, Lindsay. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> so, Lindsay, what has this year been like for the union? I will say it's been really tough. Um, obviously, the pandemic has made bargaining different in general because we're not able to see each other face to face. So we're doing video bargaining, but we've still been trying to push through it 
trying to keep our members engaged as much as we can, even if we're not face-to-face. We're still pushing through on our current contract. What made the newsroom of the Colombian want to unionize? Well, there's definitely a multitude of issues, a big one being just low pay. You know, we had heard that we were pretty low compared to a lot of other places and cost of living keeps getting higher and it's just getting harder and harder to live on the salary that we're receiving. But also, we just wanted to have a voice at the table. We were tired of feeling like employees didn't have a place to offer their opinions and feelings about things. So if you were to think about the big victory this year that the Colombian Guild experience, what would that be? Securing certain language in our contract. Um, For the first time, we have a path to have a formal grievance. Like if we have an issue with the company, we can file a grievance. And that's, I think so far, been one of the bigger victories, but we still have a lot of work to do. That's huge. That's an important win to be able to actually have a grievance process, because that's one of the things that coordinated bargaining through a union can bring about. So congratulations. What are you looking forward to in the coming year? Well, we are ramping up to get a good salary schedule. We've been waiting for this moment, I think, ever since we started bargaining. And we finally are about to have those conversations actually starting this Tuesday. So we're still having conversations about what that campaign is going to look like. So what can the listeners do to help move the ball forward for the Columbian Guild? We want all the public support we can get. We've lost so many staff members this year. Um, They're not filling those positions. The company has had a tremendous cost savings with the amount of people they've lost this year. And yet they haven't been giving raises. We need raises. You know, we need a living wage. Reporters need a living wage. A lot of us have student debt. A lot of us, we couldn't afford to live on our own. Our partners or whomever may have higher paying jobs that are the only reason that we can do the jobs that we do. Reporting and making the community aware of the goings on in Clark County, it's invaluable but we have to make a living to keep doing what we're doing. So we just need the public behind us and to uh, say that, you know, (laughs) whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or whatever that might look like. And a way they can help is support the Colombian newspaper. (laughs) Get the newspaper delivered. Or you can even subscribe online and that will help the Colombian be successful, which in turn with a union contract will then hopefully make those employees, reporters, and everybody there successful. That's a huge, important message. We can't do what we do without subscribers, period. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here and sharing that win. Thank you so much for having me and happy holidays. And finally, let's talk to Barb Plymate. She's the president of the Vancouver Association of Education Support Professionals. And you'll remember, Barb, from our episode 11. Thanks for joining us again, Barb. Thank you. Thank you for having me. VAESP was having a pretty big issue until quite recently, right? 
That's correct. Our members were all furloughed in late September. We had about 350 VAFs union members of our classified staff, which were our clerks, secretaries, and paraeducators that the Vancouver School District chose to furlough um, due to what they were calling budget cuts. When you found out about these cuts and all of your members that were going to be laid off with no income during the holidays, what did you do? Well, it was pretty clear. Our members decided early on to organize, and we stood up for what's right for VPS students and staff. We spoke during several school board meetings. We held a drive-in rally. We did informational pickets, started an online petition. We wrote to our elected school board members. Our message was clear. The money was there. The students needed our help. The teachers needed our help. And we wanted to go back to work to help address the lack of equity for students in our remote learning. And so, Barb, what was the result? Something big happened just a few days ago. Isn't that right? Yeah, we're pretty excited. The decision by the VPS school board was such a blessing for our members, especially during the holiday season. They did decide to go ahead and reinstate our members. And in fact, as of yesterday, notices all came back for our employees to start back on January 6th. Woo-hoo! I was so excited to get that email stating that you guys were getting put back to work. I'm so glad that the community came together. All of our listeners here on the podcast, if you guys filled out that petition, thank you so much because that made a huge difference. 351 people are now going back to work. We're extremely excited about that. We appreciate the support that we received from the Vancouver community and specifically the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. It is so reassuring to have community labor allies but we are ready to help when we are presented with challenges in times like this. Well, that is what labor is all about. Working people standing together when we need to have each other's backs. Barb, thank you so much for coming back to update us on this. And any final thoughts for the community about what they should look forward to at the Vancouver School District in the future? We're just really excited to be back in the buildings working with our students. Um, We're very excited again to stand up with our labor allies for anything that comes up with them. We know how important it is to work together. So we are here for you as well. Thanks so much, Barb. Now stick with us, working people. We're going to take a step back out of Southwest Washington and talk about the victories that have happened all across the Evergreen State. Hello, I'm Joe Cadwell, host of Grit Northwest. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast directory. Grit Northwest is now part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, where you can discover other union-specific shows to help you learn more about organized labor movements across the nation and around the world. It's one-stop shopping at its best. Just visit laborradionetwork.org. Once on the main page, click on a logo that interests you and a show description with hyperlinks will magically appear. How easy is that, right? So ditch the TV and grab those earbuds to hear the collective voices of workers from around the globe demanding fair treatment from their workplaces and elected officials. Join us at laborradionetwork.org. And until next time, this is Joe Cadwell reminding you to work safe, work smart, and stay union strong. Welcome back, working people. It's not just working people in Southwest Washington who have had a lot of victories this year. 
working people across the Evergreen State have had a significant number of wins, though you may not remember them given everything that's been going on. Somebody who is keeping track of these wins for working people is Larry Brown, president of the Washington State Labor Council. Thanks for joining us, Larry. It's so nice to be with you, and thanks for inviting me. The Washington State Labor Council and working people in our state have seen some victories, although it might have been obscured by what we have seen since March. This is your first term as president of the Washington State Labor Council. What were you expecting when you took office, as opposed to what you ended up having in this magnificent year we've all lived through? Well, I probably didn't anticipate as good a first year as we had, because we had come out of a contentious election the year before. But I think people wanted to put that division behind them within the labor community. And so we worked on these great bills in Olympia, the Nurses' Rest Break Bill, the 100% Clean Energy Bill that labor and environmentalists worked together, the building trades, and many other good wins for education, funding, and post-secondary education. These were just great victories to help unify our community. And then going into the new year, we were trying to figure out how we make sure that as our economy transitions to a less carbon-intensive energy, that union members are able to take advantage of those jobs, that we are building the components here in America, here in Washington State. And I remember at the beginning of the year, I was thinking, how lucky am I to be the head of this labor movement, representing over 600,000 workers, all these great victories down in Olympia. The economy was growing, unions were growing. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a great year, 2020. And the universe looks down at me and says, here, hold my beer watch this. <laughs> and it wasn't even a good beer, Larry. It, it really wasn't. It was it was pretty poor. But I am so glad that we have such a strong labor movement in this state because immediately labor jumped into action. Our unions and our labor councils worked with our labor and industries to make sure that we had standards established, that workplace safety was top of the priority list as to what they should be doing heading into this pandemic. A massive increase in the number of people that had to file for unemployment. You know, that was a very difficult thing and still is, quite frankly, to remove the obstacles and to reduce the number of people that are in line to have their cases appealed. So it has been a very tough year. So it sounds, Larry, like labor is doing what exactly I've been saying labor does for the last 13 episodes, which is we not only work for our members, people who are actually in a union, we're fighting for all working people, for the meals and rest breaks for nurses. Explain briefly what that is, because a lot of people don't realize that we were fighting for meals and rest breaks. I mean, it seems like such a basic, basic worker's right. I think a lot of workers were taken for granted. Uh, your grocery store worker, your health care worker, your first responders. And the labor community has stepped up to back all of those workers, union and non-union alike to make sure that folks are safe, that there are benefits for people that were impacted, whether they're a union member or not. Unfortunately for nurses, the laws requiring meals and rest breaks did not apply 
in the same way. They were supposed to get meals and rest breaks, but there was no requirement for it to be uninterrupted. And oftentimes, healthcare workers were working through their breaks. It was a patient safety issue. It was a workplace justice issue. Nobody should have to work without a break, without a meal, 10, 12-hour days. That just isn't good for anybody. So after years of effort, the labor community came together as one voice, and we got the law passed, and now healthcare workers are required to have their uninterrupted meal and rest breaks. If they don't, it's a violation of the law. God knows they need it now because they are working some long shifts. Larry, you also worked really hard with some farm workers who weren't in a union, right? We saw a lot of activity in the farm worker community. There were fights over health and safety. There were fights for farm worker housing, farm worker transportation. There were a lot of problems, and we worked hard on those. In addition to health and safety issues for farm workers and the battles that were won, we also had organizing victories in the apple packing industry over there. Familias Unitas por la Justicia, as well as the United Farm Workers, were very successful in organizing folks to stand up for themselves. Larry, the labor movement, specifically the building trades, kind of gets a bad rap about how they care about jobs more the environment and labor versus environment. And we've always been on the same page that the environment and labor works together to a common goal. Yeah, thank you very much, Shannon. You know, actually, we could have a whole series of shows on energy, climate, and labor. But we are working in several areas to try to achieve progress on all of those things. For example, we have the Blue Green Alliance, where labor and the environmental community comes together in coalition to figure out how to operate in a less impactful way. For example, manufacture products that minimize the impact on our environment by making clean and green, using green energy, using green manufacturing, minimizing toxic chemicals, and increasing worker safety, making sure that people are not poisoned at work. And we are working right now to get legislation passed for uh, whenever the state is purchasing uh, manufactured products, they should be purchasing clean and green, buy clean, buy fair, so that it's unionized and it's manufactured in a green way. In addition to that, we are working to try to figure out how do we reduce the amount of carbon as we develop our transportation system. We are going to need to electrify our transportation systems so that we have charging stations along our highways for the electric vehicles that we anticipate will be manufactured. And those should be manufactured here in America, and they should be manufactured by union members. People need to be able to make a living wage in this just transition. But we also have to look out for folks that have worked in the petroleum industry. So, for example, if we are talking about a refinery that has been producing petroleum products, we should be thinking about converting them to clean energy products, biodiesel, hydrogen. Um, people 
are starting to talk about the manufacture of small mini reactors. And those are totally green in terms of any carbon impacts. So these are all things that we need to be looking at. So it sounds to me like labor is part of the solution and that we're all looking to the same goal. It's just a matter of how we get there. So thank you, Brother Brown, for clearing that up. Absolutely. People have to earn a living. You know, I'd like to talk about another area of progress at the Washington State Labor Council and for working people. 2020 not only brought the pandemic and the economic recession that has occurred, it has brought a reckoning around racial justice in this country. And I am proud to report that the Washington State Labor Council hired the very first racial and gender justice director in the history of state feds across the country. So it is a core part of the work that we do. Everything that we do at the Washington State Labor Council is infused with the idea that we are an anti-racist organization. It is our obligation to deconstruct the structural racism that our society has. Unfortunately, the history of our country is one of displacement, one of enslavement, one of, you know, taking people of color and putting them in a subservient position. We are calling that out. We are saying we need to have equity in this country. So I'm just very proud of that. We need to see our union movement led by people that look like the union members. Yeah, I think that's 100% true, Larry. And I know that that's something that labor has struggled with, not only recruiting people of color, but helping them find positions of leadership, mentorship, and opening doors to them. So what is the Washington State Labor Council doing to help the unions in Washington State with that problem? Oh, I know. Is it the race and labor? Yes, there you go. In 2017, the Washington State Labor Council passed its Race and Labor 1.0 resolution, and we are now at 3.0. And this Washington State Labor Council is helping, along with our central labor councils, to provide curriculum and training for our union locals and the affiliates. It's a wonderful program that is showing real results. And I know as an old white guy that I can look at this labor movement, for example, you know, there weren't too many Shannon Myers around before, but our labor movement has a whole cadre of great labor leading women. And uh, Shannon's a great example of that. But we have, for example, Patty Rose, who's her co-chair on the Central Labor Council Network. I would be remiss if I don't talk about our secretary treasurer here at the Washington State Labor Council, April Sims. I mean, she is becoming nationally recognized for her leadership. She is serving in leadership capacities at the National AFL-CIO. She is absolutely the highest ranking elected labor leader in the history of the state of Washington. She's a real credit to our labor movement. And our listeners will remember April was on the show a few episodes back talking about what labor is doing to help people during the pandemic. So if you haven't listened to that episode, folks, Go ahead and look in the archives and listen in to the magic that April Sims brings into any conversation. 
So we're running out of time here, Larry, but what can working people look forward to in 2021 after everything they've been through in 2020? We are looking forward to the 2021 legislative session, and we are working very hard to make sure that whatever the budget impacts are, they don't land on the backs of working people that we don't lay off a bunch of people that are providing very much needed services. Fortunately, the vaccines are now being distributed. And I want to encourage everyone to take the vaccine. It's the way we're going to knock this thing down. But in the meantime, you still need to mask up. You still need to wash your hands. Do the social distancing. Don't travel if you don't have to. Please stay home for Christmas. and. You know, I just say that because we don't need any more dead Washingtonians because of COVID. So let's get through to that. But I think we can look forward to an improving economy this next year as we get this pandemic under control. You know, our unions are going to fight like heck in Olympia this year to protect the benefits for unemployed, for people that are homeless, for people that need health care. Uh, the people that need to go back to school to get retrained because their business that they worked in before no longer exists. We're going to fight for all those things, but we need to get through the next three months. And so please, everyone stay safe. And that's why Larry Brown is our leader, because he shows empathy, strength and compassion for all people. And we love you, Brother Brown. Thank you, Shannon. Have a good evening. and. Give my best to everybody in Vancouver. Thank you, Larry Brown, president of the Washington State Labor Council. And thank you, working people, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, our last show of the year, in fact. But don't worry, we'll be back in 2021, ready to kick the new year in the ass. You know, I thought she was going to choose something different there, but she just decided to say kick it in the ass because that's the kind of badass chick Shannon Myers is. <laughs> I'm sure everything's going to change next year. But one thing that won't change, Working to Live in Southwest Washington is produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. And something else that hasn't changed is this podcast was recorded under a SAG-AFTRA collective bargaining agreement. Because we like to finish the year off union strong, right, sister? <laughs> yeah! Remember, working people, this is your show. We want to know what you want to hear on it. Email us at podcast at swwaclc.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at swwaclc. And don't forget to subscribe. It's close to the holidays and it would be a great gift if you hit that subscribe button and then passed it on to all of your friends and your family. And while you're at it, give us five stars or fill up the champagne glasses, drop the ball, whatever your podcast platform of choice gives you to let people know that you like what we're doing. One last thing, folks. We have talked about a lot of victories here in Washington and specifically here in Southwest Washington because we know this year has been rough. But the thing that's got us through is working people like you and like us, standing together and making sure we're looking out for each other. So as we roll into 2021, remember that feeling 
when you backed someone else up. Remember that feeling when you stood up for someone who was working in a store or in a hospital or cleaning a street, collecting garbage, whatever it was, you can think of at least once this year where you applauded, you took your hat off. That's what's going to bring us into the next year stronger than ever. And that is why I'm a part of the labor movement, because we are a family and we are inclusive. So if you have found yourself in a situation where you need help, if things are not going well for you on the job, if there's discrimination, harassment, intimidation, maybe the conditions aren't safe, contact us. We're a phone call away, and we're always here to help working people. Remember, you can find us at swwaclc.org. For now, hug your loved ones close if you can, stay warm, stay safe, and we'll see you next year. Happy holidays!